Christian, our sin is, has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. A familiar text for us. Verse 6. I'm not going to read it just yet. You know most likely what it is. You know where we are going this morning. But as by way of introduction, I want to give you a quote that I read recently. Uh, from Paul Washer. He says, Christianity is an all-or-nothing religion. The man Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was either the Son of God or a blasphemer. The greatest revelation of truth or the most heinous liar who ever walked the planet. The Savior of the world or a shameless charlatan. There is an Undeniable truth that stands tall, that gives the sinner nothing to reply, shutting the very mouth of the objector. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. There was a gentleman recently that I had the opportunity, when I was with some dear saints, we had the opportunity to do some evangelism. And this man seemed to be a brilliant man. A PhD in physics, I believe it was. He looked like Albert Einstein slash Bernie Sanders. And he was a wild man, but you could talk to him for hours, or he could talk for hours, as you listened, rather. He could talk his way out of a paper bag. Talk the horns off a billy goat, as we say in the South. And he would not, as I pressed him, as we pressed him, he would not admit, he would not say that Jesus was a liar, yet he would not agree with Jesus' statements. He thought it was too narrow. As I paraphrase the interaction, he could not get over what Jesus said about being the way, the truth, and the life. But each person who hears that truth has to deal with that. Has to deal with Jesus' statement. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It says of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord and there is no Savior beside me. Father, again, I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit of God this morning. Lord, help me to preach your word in a way that you would have me to, and to be faithful to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We come this morning to the sixth of the seven I am statements of Jesus. He uses the, not a, in his statements, as we recall. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Indeed, only He can satisfy the hunger of our souls. He, says, I, he said, I am the light of the world. He is indeed the only true light that shines into our darkened hearts. He said, I am the door. He is indeed the only entrance into the flock, into the fold. He said, I am the good shepherd. He alone shepherds his people. He alone has laid down his life for his sheep. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He raised Lazarus from the dead and he conquered death himself, for he is risen. He is risen indeed. In chapter 15, we will study his statement when he says, I am the true vine. But for here... Here for us this morning, we have Jesus' statement that I am the way, not a way. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus first says, you know the way where I am going. We recall that. The emphasis in these few verses is the way. If we consider these few texts around there, we see it mentioned three times. The way, the way, the way. Roughly three years of teaching these disciples. And Jesus tells them that they know the way. This also goes back to Peter's question in verse 36 of chapter 13. Lord, where are you going? Peter had questions. Now Thomas will ask a question. And Philip will chime in eventually as well. Perhaps Jesus was expecting a reaction from the disciples as questions would come up. As he said, I am going away and you cannot follow yet. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am you may be also and you, you know the way where I am going. Jesus showed them who he was. He told them where he was going. He taught them how to live, and he called them, and he calls everyone, as he says, follow me. They know the way because they knew Christ. They knew the place he is going because they will be going there as well. Nevertheless, Thomas asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? We often refer to, refer to Thomas as a man of doubts, right? Doubting Thomas. Yet perhaps here he is more puzzled and pessimistic. He does not say, I do not know. He says, we. Speaking for them. Perhaps he and the other disciples had not fully come to grips with what Jesus was saying. A lot just happened in this upper room. The foot washing, telling them of a traitor among them and that Peter would deny him and that he was going away. Now Thomas wanted details. Give me some details of this, Lord. And Jesus speaks our first point this morning, the narrow gate and the narrow way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, says the Lord. Jesus answers his question with three truths of who he is. Three extraordinary, exclusive claims that were more than enough to shock the system. He gives a triple-decker, a, a triple uh, emphasis, the way, the truth, and the life, a trifecta. Jesus states that he is the way in verse 4. You know the way, verse 5, speaks of the way in verse 6. Jesus states that he is the way to the Father. D.A. Carson puts it like this. Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God and the life of God. We find significant old, uh, statements in the Old Testament about the way as it relates to truth and life. We uh, think of Psalm, and, Psalm 119. We find the way to walk, the way to life, is hand in hand with following the Lord. Jesus is the way, and he, he calls us to follow the way, and He gives us His Word, and we will know the way, and follow the Lord by His way. Hand in hand with obedience, hand in hand with the Word of God. Of Psalm 119, verse one, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all of their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes, to, to follow your way, O Lord. And in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all of my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. 
And in verse 14, I rejoice in the way of your testimonies, O God, as much as in all riches. In verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. And in verse 30, the psalmist says, of Psalm 119, I have chosen the, the faithful way. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge in my heart. This is just a sample of some Old Testament background for us of the way. The way of truth is a, is a life conformed to God's word. It's important to take this well-known and often quoted verse and examine each of these claims one by one. Jesus says, I am the way. In that He is the only mediator between God the Father and sinful man. The only bridge from one side to the other. There's no way to, to get around, to go to the other side. He is the bridge. He is the mediator. He is the way. A path between point A and point B, from where you start to where you end up. The Bible teaches that we start as totally depraved and helpless, utterly ruined and condemned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Without Christ, nothing we do would be pleasing in the eyes of God. Without Christ, our works are dead works because we were dead in sin. And man will remain dead in sin without Jesus saving their soul. Man cannot reform himself. He must indeed die to self. Must be radically transformed by the Spirit of God. As Romans 3 Verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Speaking of an unregenerate heart, they will all turn aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. That is where we start as sinners, as unregenerate sinners, totally depraved, not even seeking for God. How do we get uh, from point A to point B? And as Christians, we know that one way, and that is Jesus Christ. Richard Phillips says, Our past haunts us, our present confounds us, and our future dismays us. Without Christ, that would remain indeed how it would be. Many times when we talk to people, when you talk to people, when we share testimonies of how we engage with people at work or at school, wherever it may be, and we talk to them about the way to heaven, they think that they can get to heaven by good works or by being a good person. But the law of God, the Ten Commandments, acts as ten cannons to blow that mindset out of the water. Romans 3.20 says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Remember the rich young ruler in Luke. And you see the similar account as well in Matthew. But turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. It's important to be reminded of where we were, Christian, the point A, to get to the, the point B where God has us now. Who we were. And who one is without Christ. And how Jesus engaged those who were without Christ, who thought that they were all good with God. Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Which, by the way, is an outlandish claim that this man made. 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Surely this doesn't mean that everyone has to sell, indeed, everything in order to follow Jesus Christ. No, we see that this man was hanging on to something that would keep him from following Jesus Christ. He had another God, a false God. He had an idol. When he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He had another God before God. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus presented to the man the seventh, the sixth, the ninth, then the fifth commandments, the law of God. Jesus exposed the man's sin. It was out there on the table. You shall have no other gods before me, says the Lord. The man was willing to keep some of the commandments, or so he thought, but he was not willing to give up his idol, his God, to follow the way, the truth, and the life. He wanted the cushy life rather than eternal life. He refused to depart with his money, and that would keep him from following the way. The rich man was much like the the rich plantation owner, which John Wesley met one time in America. John Wesley toured the man's vast estate, riding on horseback for for hours, only seeing a fraction of the property. At the end of the day at dinner, the man asked Mr. Wesley, well, what did you think? And Wesley responded, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all of this. It wasn't that the rich man had wealth. It was that his wealth had him. If anyone is not willing to give up their idols to follow Jesus Christ, they cannot follow Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, you are absolutely at war with God. And you are at war with His law. His law acts as a mirror, acts as a standard that is against you. The first even comes forward as Spurgeon says, Let him be cursed, for he has denied me. He has another God besides me. James says, Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point has become guilty as all. In other words, to summarize, if you've broken one of the Ten Commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of them. Our sin is so horrendous before God's sight. We are incapable of following the way He provided. We start off going the opposite way, indeed. The opposite way that leads to God's judgment. How can our sin be removed? Is there a way? Yes, as we know, as Christians, as we know, uh, uh, Jesus is the way. The perfect substitutionary sacrifice. The way of the cross. Who, as He died in our place, enduring God's wrath that we deserved, and in His death removing the guilt and punishment for our sin forever, once and for all, the just for the unjust like us. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Jesus, the way, He in Himself, the Lamb of God. And He also provides the way. Jesus is the way, and He provides the way for us to follow. Christians, we are on the way. We are on the way. If you're born again, you are on the way, and nothing can change that. Amen. Praise God. We can get sidetracked and go off another path. And God will deal with us. And God will bring us back. But to get on the way, we must be described as Jesus describes a person in order for them to get on that way. Such as in the Beatitudes, poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, 
This speaks of spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. Recognition of one's uh, spiritual poverty and emptiness without God. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning over our sin and having godly sorrow, broken and contrite heart before a holy God. That is the man, that is the woman that will be saved. What does it mean, Christians, for us to be on the way? Well, remember the WDJD, what did Jesus do? Well, we got to remember what did Jesus say as well. How did Jesus describe the way of following him? That's what we need to be reminded of, and that's where we need to go this morning in Matthew chapter 7. Please turn there with me this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Recall the first point is the narrow gate and the narrow way. And that indeed is the way that Christ calls His people to follow. Beginning in verse 13 of chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And this is the most terrifying verse once again. I believe in the New Testament is verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles in verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we see here there are two gates, the narrow gate and the wide gate. There's two ways, the, the, the narrow road and the broad road. There are two trees, one that bears good fruit and one that bears bad fruit. Two kinds of professing Christians, true converts and false converts. And we'll see, and I can't give all the treatment to this text as I would love to do this morning, but verse 24 and verse through 29, we see there's two builders and two foundations. And also, there are two types of prophets or two types of preachers, the true and the false. Now, when we consider this, when we consider this context here, oftentimes we want to go directly to say, oh, there are some who teach the narrow way and there's some who teach the broad way. And the broad way is every other religion other than Christianity. And the broad way is the cults and all of this. And then the narrow way is Christianity. This text, in this context here, My understanding of it is that this is under the umbrella of professing Christianity that would teach a narrow gate and a narrow way or a broad gate and a broad way. Most emphasis, as we know, is placed on how one gets to heaven, how to enter in his kingdom, and rightly so, the way, the truth, and the life. Also, we must not neglect that evidence that one has entered into that narrow gate, which Jesus is the gate, by the way, we must not neglect that evidence that one has entered the narrow gate. The evidence is that he or she is on that narrow way. So if one says, I have entered that narrow gate, but is walking the broad road and the broad way, you must question, well, they are not on the narrow road that leads to life. If you are on the broad road this morning, you must question yourself to see if you are indeed a child of God. 
Justification is by faith alone. Salvation is by grace alone. Evidence of one's justification and salvation is ongoing sanctification. And in other words, here for our context, is the one who was on the narrow road. That leads to life. The way is used six times in the book of Acts as a description of Christians following Christ. They are on the way, or they're being persecuted because they follow the way. A note from a a consideration about false prophets here, or false teachers, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. These are not individuals in another religion. These are wolves in sheep's clothing pretending to be true prophets or true preachers. They may look like sheep, they may, or shepherds, they may smell like sheep, but indeed they are false. And they would teach the broad road in a broad way. All under the umbrella of quote unquote Christianity. They teach those who are uh, not true prophets or those who are not true preachers will teach a non-lordship way of salvation, a happy-go-lucky, easy path. They will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They will misrepresent the gospel. They let people sleep and lull them to sleep. True teachers of the word of God are there to wake people up. And you will know them. You will know false teachers by their fruits, by their words, and by their deeds. They can hide under certain things. They can hide under certain confessions. They can hide under certain doctrinal statements. But the mask will fall off eventually. And then in verse 18 and 19, every tree, this applies to professing Christians who will be known by their fruit as well. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Again, Jesus being the gate The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Jesus is the way. He is also the truth. Second point, trusting in the truth and treasuring the truth. Trusting in the truth and treasuring the truth. As we see, we will see in our further study, The context of the truth has to do with knowing and and seeing God. Knowing and seeing God. And we'll see that, Lord willing, as we go along. Jesus did not say, I have come to tell you some truth or point you to some truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Remember John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ, the true light, enlightens men. Christ, the true bread out of heaven. And Christ, the true vine. One of God's attributes, His moral excellences, is truth. What is an attribute of the Father is an attribute of the Son. A.W. Pink adds, Truth is not to be found in a system of philosophy, but in a person, Jesus Christ. He reveals God and exposes man. It is in Christ that Colossians 2.3 says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of the knowledge gained in this world the most brilliant minds of the greatest living historians, scientists, even mathematicians, philosophers, physicians, all of their knowledge, all of their wisdom will be absolutely worthless in hell. 
due to the rejection of Jesus, the truth. Jesus is the truth and he reveals truth. Paul says in Romans 1, 25, idolatry is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Think of that. John says that he is full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness to the truth. Biltman says, truth is not the teaching about God transmitted by Jesus, but is God's very reality revealing itself occurring in Jesus. As we know, hopefully we know this morning, knowing Jesus as the truth is not knowing about Jesus as an intellectual exercise. Since Jesus is the truth, He demands a response from every individual. Jesus says, if you continue in My Word, if you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Are you free this morning? Are you on the way? Jesus is the truth, and we are to treasure the truth. He gives us truth. We're to base our life on the truth. When someone asks you, Christian, oh, what do you base your life on? Unequivocally, unhesitantly, it should be, I base my life on the truth. We are to be students of the truth. The world, we don't have to even be reminded of this, but I'm going to do it anyway. The world seeks to tell us their lies day in, day out. Every method and every mode of communication towards us lies, 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 lies. The serpent trying to get given us lies as well. Lies, lies, lies. We must be students of the truth. Seek to be A-plus students of the truth, so to speak. We don't be Christians with a D-minus of our study of the truth. And also, we are responsible to teach others the truth. Everyone in here has a platform in some way, shape, or form. If you're a mom and you have children, you have people to tell the truth to. If you're a father or a husband, you have people in your home to tell the truth to. And so on and so forth. If you're, you're at work and you have friends, you have a responsibility to tell them the truth as these doors are open to present the truth. God has given us His truth. And we're to follow Christ on the way who is the truth. And as the world will seek to derail us off that path every single day, day in, day out. And if you say, well, that never happens to me. I'm a Christian. It's just wonderful. You must check your heart this morning. Because if there is no persecution in your life at all, and there's no hostility in your life at all, for claiming to believe in the way, truth, and life, there is something wrong with your life. The Bible says, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, a recent sermon I listened to, another one by uh, Steve Lawson. By the way, Ligonier just had their conference down in Florida. You can you listen to those sermons live. Some of you did, praise God. You, they'll come out again. I'd encourage you, they'll come out so you can read them, or listen to them or listen to the Q&A. I'd encourage you, when that does, to listen to Steve Lawson's message, to listen to Burke Parsons' message, and to listen to Vody Bauckham's message. Very applicable to our lives today, to where we are. The theme of the conference was to stand firm. And as Christians, we need to stand firm. But Lawson said, and this is very uh, just basic but profound, we need to be in the Bible and have the Bible in us. Very simple statement. But we must ask, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? We have the truth. 
We have many translations of the truth. We know that being in the truth will bless our lives and will draw us nearer to God. Reading the book, soaking in the book, meditating upon the book, memorizing the book, and speaking the book, the truth. The further we walk in the narrow way, the truth of God's Word becomes more illuminating to us so that we can see the markers and stay on the narrow road. We can see the the roads that will lead us astray and we can recognize them. The longer you walk with the Lord, the the more you're in the Word of God and you're praying, God, give me discernment. Help me to keep my ways pure. You'll see these roads. They'll be more evident to you. Sometimes you won't and you'll start going down the path. Or sometimes you will and you'll start going down the path anyway and then God gently and lovingly deals with us. We must stay on the narrow road. We need His commandments, His statutes, Proverbs, to stay on the narrow way. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Another reminder for us this morning, no need to turn there, but Psalm 1, I was reminded of this, my brother mentioned this um, Wednesday night, and it relates to where we are here this morning with this word of the truth. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Right? The wicked saying that this is truth. This is the way you should do. This is our counsel. Or stand in the path of sinners. Or being more comfortable, sitting in the seat of scoffers. No, instead, but, strong contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord, in the truth. And in his law he meditates day and night. And what will be the result of this, dear Christian? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. If you're on the way this morning, the Lord knows you. He knows you're on the way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and He is the life. Thirdly, we ought to be people who are loving the life, but we must also be losing our life. Loving the life and losing your life. We're confronted, and you think of that word life. I was speaking to an individual recently, won't say who he was, but he was telling me about how he went skiing 20 years ago. And he just went skiing this time here. It's the first time he went skiing in 20 years. And the last time he went skiing 20 years ago, he and his wife went to go ski. And everything seemed fine. There was an avalanche. And she died in it. And she was only like a foot or two under the snow. They found her eventually. There they were, just going skiing. Just like that. Her life was gone. We never know when that day will be when we will step into eternity. We are confronted with the reality of death. The world will try to cover up that reality, or, on the other hand, they'll try to push that reality in our face to make it so gruesome and interesting that we will forget about the finality of death. And we're also reminded and confronted with the reality that the wages of sin is death. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. But in Christ, we are made alive. We have life. Jesus, the life, the life giver, speaking of regeneration, resulting in eternal life. Jesus said, my my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What good news that is to be reminded of this morning. 
He has the light of life. He has the words of life. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Dear Christian, God has chosen you to give you life and to give you eternal life. He has chosen you and given you the privilege of knowing the living God. He has freed you from separation from Him by the death of Christ. So that as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. In, back in Florida, there were logos of companies that expressed a <clears throat> certain kind of life. Now, if you have these logos, I'm not, I have no idea, so I'm not pointing you out by any means. These were popular back there. Salt life. Right? Salt life. Well, this means that this person, individual, loved fishing. Loved saltwater sports. Fine, dandy. There is southern life. All things from the, from the bottom of the map, I guess. Hog hunting, fishing, eating hog jaw and possum belly, things like that. Southern life. There's even pug life. Okay, notice I said pug life for those who love pugs. Some of the greatest breed of dog you'd ever have. Ask me about Archie the pug. He's gone now, has been. So there's salt life, there's southern life, there's pug life, whatever life. Christian, eternal life. That is our motto. That is our theme. Eternal life. I have been, you have been given eternal life. And we ought to love that life, the abundant life He has given us. Life is, and we realize that it's not about uh, what I enjoy as these hobbies in life to put the sticker down that says, This is about me. Because we that have received eternal life, we know that life is not about us, it's about living for the glory of God. It's not about my likes and my wants, but it's about Christ, the giver of life. I used to have Christian t-shirts. Some of them, well, the ones that I had were pretty, were great. There was a couple lame ones. Some of them are nice. Some of them are just outright lame. We understand that. We get that. There's some good ones out there. If you're interested, ask me. I'll point you in the right direction. Um, I used to call them rigs, religious identification gear. It's like one of the things you don't wear when you go evangelism because people stay away from you. They see your shirt and say, I don't want to go near him. So you dress however. But my one shirt I had, it said, Jesus Christ is life and the rest is just details. There's a lot of truth in that because that's the main thing is Christ Eternal life. That being our motto, so to speak, when we consider the other mottos the world has for us. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, Who is the way, the truth, and life? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. So if you wish to save your own life, you're going to lose it. And you will face judgment of God. But whoever loses his life and says, my life is is not mine anymore, Lord, it's yours. I, I, I bow to Jesus. I turn from my sin. I bow to Jesus Christ. Whoever loses his life for my sake, says the Lord, will find it. Will find life. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Fourthly, well, we had uh, the narrow gate, the narrow way. That's the road we are to be on. We are to enter the narrow gate. We are to enter and walk on the narrow road that leads to life. We are to be trusting in the truth. Jesus is the truth. And we are to treasure the truth, treasuring Jesus as the truth, treasuring his word as truth. Loving the life that he has given us. Eternal life, 
But we must lose our life in order to have this eternal life. And then we have exclusive and essential access. We have this exclusive and essential access. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. So he is saying what he just said in another way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Restating what he said. To get to the Father, you must go through Jesus. He is the gate to the kingdom of God. No other entrance. He calls us to walk on a narrow path that leads to life. Now, now listen to this uh, text from Luke, a parallel passage here. I'll just read this one verse for you. And use this as homework to, to, to consider, to medica- meditate, not medicate, meditate upon. Luke 13, 24, it says, Jesus said, strive to enter at that straight gate. For many will say, excuse me, for I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Jesus, let me read this again, Jesus says. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. They will not be able to enter that gate, even though they, you must agonize to enter that gate. Why would some not be able to enter this gate? Because of complacency, because of apathy, because of hard-heartedness, and because of a love for the world more than a love for Christ. Thomas Watson, Puritan, said, We have a long race from earth to heaven, but a little time to run, for it'll soon be sunset. Run, Christian. Run the race. Endure by God's grace. The finish line is close. Some of us are closer to the finish line than we can. We don't even know. Some of us who are older are very close to the finish line. Some of us in our Christian walk are further behind, but we're all in the race. The finish line is coming. There's the exclusive claims of Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now let's consider this as Christians. If you are a born-again believing, a born-again believer this morning, if you truly indeed are saved, you are going to the Father because of Christ. No one comes to the Father but through me. We are going to the Father because of Him. Christian, maybe you don't feel loved by people in your life. God loves you. He has given you eternal life. He has died for you, Christian, particularly. His death on that cross, He bore the wrath of God for sinners like us who trust in Him and Him alone. Now, we have to go live like it. We have exclusive access to God the Father through Christ the Son. It is an essential access for Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let us Oh, Lord, thank you for eternal life, oh God. Thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners like us. You call us to enter through the narrow gates. You call us to the narrow path. We are to trust in the truth and treasure your truth. Lord, if there be any in here who have not lost their life for the sake of yours, who have not turned from their sins truly and trusted in Jesus alone, repented of their sin and and trusted in Christ, we pray indeed, Lord, that you would save them today. No one is too good that they can go to heaven. 
And no one is rotten enough that you will not save who will bow the knee to Jesus. We see that Paul called himself the chief of sinners, the great apostle. God, you have given us exclusive access to your throne, exclusive access to you. God, you have prepared. There's a place prepared for us. You, Christ, will come and receive us to yourself. What a reception that will be. We can't even comprehend it. I know I can't. And it is also an essential access. We must go through Christ and we must come to Him His way, on His terms. Count the cost and follow Him. Lord, for believers in here today, for us who maybe we're getting shaken up on this narrow path, Maybe we've fallen off the the path and we're on the side road and we're banged up and we're beat up. We're wounded. and we, We don't feel we can continue on. We're just sitting by the path, Lord. Oh God, you're the only one who can provide the balm to heal us once again and bring us back on that narrow road. Maybe some in here are tempted to, to turn back or struggling with whatever sin that is weighing them down. God, you are in the, the business of helping your people who will come to you and repent of sin and confess their sin before you. God, let us also be people who are avaricious about our hunger for the truth. Create that in us, Lord. Create in our heart, we ask, for a greater hunger and a greater thirst for for your word. And we thank you this day that you have heard our cries. We pray that Christ would be honored in this. If anything was said today, O Lord, by me that could have been said better or that was erroneous, Lord, let it fall on deaf ears. Oh God, but whatever you would have for us to hold on to, whatever nuggets, Lord, let us meditate upon these things. In Jesus' name, amen.